Welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast, the show that helps runners and athletes in running-based sports transform the way they run. Here's your host, Tyson Popplestone. Well, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Relaxed Running Podcast. I am your host, Tyson Popplestone. Thanks so much for being here. I tell you, one thing that's true is it's always more enjoyable doing a podcast for people who want to hear it, which sounds like an obvious thing to say, but as a bloke who is pretty passionate about stand-up comedy, a lot of the venues I go to are open mic, and a lot of the people that are there didn't know comedy was about to happen and have no interest in it. So the fact that you're here voluntarily to hear more about running is a massive win for me, and a nice little change-up to my weekly experience, if I'm completely honest. Before we get into today's show, I wanted to give you a little reminder, because I haven't said much about it recently, because I wanted to add a little bit of stuff into it before I let you know, the Relax Running Training Hub is up and kicking. It is live. We're adding new resources to it every single week. What is the Relax Running Training Hub? I've tried to put the explanation in the name. It is a distance running training hub. We're going to get access to bonus training programs, bonus videos. There's going to be bonus podcasts. Just this week, I've added the Marathon Method 16-week training program. Let me tell you a little bit about this. The Marathon Method it retails for over $100 usually. It's a 16-week build-up to a marathon of your choice. We can tailor the training program to your fitness levels, to your history in the marathon, to your injury background. Obviously, I'm going to be there to guide you along the way. The good news for the Training Hub members is you get access to this and all the new resources for five bucks a month US. Now, the reason I do the price in US is because so many listeners are from the US. I'm trying to just get like a one currency on the website so it's not confusing based on what page you go to. So based on the amount of listeners from different places, I thought US is the easiest because so many of you are US listeners. I think that works out to be like seven or eight bucks Australian. The Training Hub, it's going to have a whole heap of new resources added on a regular basis. Um, It is the cheapest option and the best option for distance running nerds or those of you who are just trying to improve your distance running performance. If you haven't checked it out yet or you're not already a member, jump on via the link in the description below. Also, one more thing before we get into it. I don't know if you know this, relaxed running is targeted not just at distance runners, but at running based sports. And in October this year, our brand new 2024 preseason training programs are going to be out and available for you guys to access. I've added the link in the description below. So if you know any footballers or running based sports athletes who could benefit from one of our memberships, make sure you let them know about it. I've also added a 20% discount coupon code for those of you who want to join up there. That's enough of that. Today on the show, I'm super excited to introduce to you a man with one of the best accents in distance running. His name is Owen Everett, and he's coming at us from Ireland, straight out of Ireland. I'm sorry, I'm not sure if you're allowed to imitate the Irish accent. I know some are off limits. I think the Irish, we can still do. Hey, let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Owen Everett, as he's officially known, is a sub-four-minute miler, sub-14-minute 5K runner, and sub-30-minute 10K runner. He's the current European over 35 3,000-meter champion and has represented Ireland from 800 meters to the 10K. He's a chartered physiotherapist and Pilates instructor with a PhD in human movement. He used his background in physio, Pilates, and his own struggles with injury to develop the sports Pilates program. He's also the inventor of the back-aware belt. 
More than that, he's been competitive for over 20 years now. Some of his best achievements, uh, as I mentioned, the sub four mile, sub 14, 5K, but he's also won the national championships five times and represented Ireland from 800 meters on the track to 10,000 meters cross country at European level. The guy's an absolute stud. It was a really informative conversation. He completely changed my mind about heart rate training. We go back and forth on why I think it's beneficial and why we think it's not before I eventually cave and go, all right, doctor, <laughs> you win this argument. It was a real eye-opener for me. I've added a link to his membership to get your free trial over at Everett Pilates in the show notes below. But for now, let's welcome him to the show for the very first time, the great man himself, Dr. Owen Everett. <laughs> There we go, mate. So good to finally catch up or organize the time to be able to sit down and do this podcast with you. I was just apologizing because I feel like kid life on my side of uh, the equator has made it very difficult. It's currently 6.30 a.m. where you are, which makes me feel incredibly uh, uh, excited that you would consider it worth your time <laughs> to get up for such a, uh, an early podcast. But you said you had no trouble getting some sleep last night, despite the uh, the fact there was a little bit of pressure to be up on time. Yeah, Tyson, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, exactly. You know, usually if you're going to like the airport or something, you um, you know, you, you can really struggle to sleep, but I slept fine. I ha- like I usually get up around like 6.37 anyway, so there wasn't um, that big a stretch. You you. You graciously moved it from 5.30 my time to 6.30, and that made a big difference. Going to bed last night, I wasn't dreading it. Oh, man, I was dreading it for you. I kept doing the I kept doing the conversions, and I was like, oh, no, how am I going to justify? I've got to try and figure out how to make you happy and find a uh, time that you're happy to record and also stay married. <laughs> so it was a very... <laughs> <laughs> it was a very delicate procedure, but no, we, we managed to figure it out. Are you a coffee drinker? Do you kick off the day with a, a strong coffee? No, I don't sort? drink any coffee. The only time I'd have caffeine is uh, before a race. Um, yeah, I, I like so many people are into coffee, so um, and it's getting big here, but I always was like, if you can do, do it out of it, I was like, I don't, I don't want to start. I have good energy anyway. Yeah, it makes sense from a, a competitive perspective, I reckon. I had a friend, I don't know if you know Craig Huffer. He's a, he'd be 33, I think he ran 330, I know he ran 336. Jesus, that's very good. When he was like 20, this is back in about 2010. Uh, and I went out to get a coffee with him because we hadn't caught up for quite a while. And he ordered a watermelon juice. I said, mate, what are you doing? And he said the exact same thing that you just mentioned is that he tries to save it for special occasions. So what is that a pre-race go-to for you? Will you always have a coffee before you get out there and race or is that just yeah, a, that's, a, a that's, that's literally every elite runner. Like, so key, 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 like supplements that every runner, the only key supplement that every runner takes is caffeine and then like a protein shake afterwards for recovery. They're the only two that everybody takes. Um, like either in form of a tablet in like maybe a coffee, like say two and a half hours before a race, the caffeine tablets or caffeine powders people take like an hour beforehand. Um, you know, the half-life of coffee, coffee, if people are going to do it is six hours. So you're better off being like, do it more conservative unless it's a very long race. Then you can, you know, say I used to do like 1500s or 5Ks. Like, you know, if, if you missed that by 15 minutes, you've missed a race where if you're doing a marathon, if it kicks in after 15 minutes, it's not the end of the world. So, um, and then, yeah, like a protein shake afterwards, everybody would would have one of those. And then uh, other ones that people 
try now would be for sub elite runners. Um, beetroot shots are are quite popular, and um, they're meant to have like there's night uh, nitrates in them, which are meant to like open the blood vessels and now blood to move freer. There's debate about whether they work for elite runners because the their ability to open the blood vessels is quite good anyway. And then there's a new one. Mertain has just come out with it for um, 1,500-meter runners, uh, sodium bicarb, bicarbonate. It was around when I was there, but it used to, <laughs> it used to be terrible on your stomach and it make you feel like you had like ants running around your body. So I never took it. But um, <laughs> I think they've done, they've perfected that formula and like a load of runners are taking that now uh, pre-competition, like 1,500-meter runners. That's interesting, man. I remember, I remember back in about two thousand and eight, I had uh, just moved out of home, and I don't know how I had it. I think my mum had just packed it in a box for me. There was some bicarb soda yeah. in the box, and I think it was supposed to be there as like a cleaning product. And I remember I stumbled across some Let's Run article talking about bicarb soda being in some way beneficial to runners, and I had no idea. I didn't know the science behind it. I didn't know the measurements behind it. But I remember taking a tablespoon and pouring it in a glass of water and just completely regretting the decision as I tried to get yeah. it through a cup of water because it might have been beneficial to my performance, but I'm not convinced that I had the ability to get it down. But I can imagine Morton's, uh, they'd be they'd be mixing that with some kind of flavor to make it more palatable. Yeah, because as well about your stomach, people used to be, you know, there's no point to, it's a better performance, but you're not able to get onto the start line because you're in the toilet, you know, so... <laughs> You know, they had to get that, <laughs> that right. That's a good point, Matt. So where are you at in terms of uh, your running at the moment? Because I was so interested reading through your biography. What you've achieved in the world of middle distance running is is pretty remarkable. I mean, yeah, I don't know how young you look. You've got a young looking yeah, face. Yeah, thanks, 37. It looks like you've achieved a 37. Okay, it's a compliment. So I'm 36, a year behind you. I'd like to assume I've got a young looking face. I think if you run, well, you look running, younger. Well, yeah, I feel like that's true unless you're a marathon runner. No offense to marathon runners out there, but they have the opposite effect. Yeah, I've seen with the wrinkles. Some of my mates, yeah, yeah, I look yeah. at now and I go, I go, I'm, and I can't talk. I mean, I've got wrinkles that need to be treated quite seriously at this yeah, point I'm in time. Sure. But I've got a couple of mates who have been marathon running for a long time now, and I go, okay, you've you've been hit by the weather stick. But I reckon <laughs> you're right. Middle distance, you've uh, you've you've been. Uh, uh, I don't know. You just haven't been out exposed to that wind and sun. As severely as the marathon runners, I, I, I say all that to say. I say all that to say that um, it seems as though you've you've achieved a lot in a, a you know a, I was going to say relatively short career, but seventeen years I could imagine yeah. uh, starting at like an age of twenty. Where are you at in terms of your your training performance? What's on the schedule at the moment? Do you know what's so strange, uh, Tyson, is that I've kind of achieved everything I want to achieve. So it's a kind of weird. Um, it's a weird flux in terms of now the only thing is I do love running just for running as well so it's not like I'm gonna you know drop that off but it is a thing that like so I would have say for the listeners just very quickly would have been a 1500 meter runner in my prime say um broke the four minute mile won like five national championships over five, 15 and 3k ran for Ireland at European level um and then you know as you said in your like kind of early 30s like 32 33 I was like you know what I can feel like I've kind of done what I'm going to do here um I can maintain it but I'm not going to get that much faster um and then so then I was like you know what it'd be great to break like eight minutes for 3k 14 minutes for 5k and then 
uh, 30 minutes for 10K. I, I've ran, say, 49 minutes for 10 miles or close to it, like 50, 49. Um, and then I don't have much of a desire to do the the half marathon or marathon. Um, it just doesn't really suit my body. But yeah, so I, I hit all those. I hit the sub 8, the sub 14 and the sub 30. So um, I don't know, like... I don't know what I'll do now. Like uh, my coach wants to try this new way of training and he is a lot of really elite runners. So he was like, do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, so I might do that. <laughs> it's going to be for the same performance, <laughs> like for same races, like local road races and um, national road races. So I'll still be running at a high level. Um, but yeah, just more, more enjoying it. So what's the difference in training? The one he wants to try is the theory behind it is um, there's only like two elements of training that are important. I don't know if this will work. I said I'd try it though. So what what he wants to do is he's, he's listened to this like Belgian coach and yeah, he's saying that based off the kind of Britons and stuff like that, there's only two elements of training. There is power and there is aerobic capacity building aerobic capacity and the idea is that then you should just optimize for those two things like 100% optimize for those two things and anything in between that or anything that kind of varies that isn't isn't really hitting what it should so the training sessions are a lot then of like six sets of like a 200 meters in for me like 28 seconds so very fast and then followed by uh, 1K in 3.45, which for me for six-minute pace is is slow for, for a workout. You know, if you think my my threshold pace would probably, excuse me, be about like 3.10 per K, like kind of, you know, 5.05, 5.10. So they do lactics at like 1.5. And that idea of that being like, that's purely aerobic, but enough to like, there's basically two turn points when you do aerobic. You're just easy run. There's the first time it spikes a little bit, and that's like your first aerobic bit. It's even before a marathon pace, but you're working more than an easy run. And then it goes, and then there's another spike, generally around three or four of a lactic. And then after that, it's all aerobic. So this would be like really focus on that first turn point. The first time you go into aerobic, stay there, really build that base that like base of the triangle and then also hit the power so you don't lose that ability to generate the lactic at the top and um, so yeah i said I'd, like like that i wouldn't mind i suppose because i've been a, a decent runner he is guys who would be trying to go into world championships and stuff like that so he just asked me would we try it so i'm going to try that for a while and see just i i don't mind experimenting now which is a nice way place to be that's a really cool way to be. So in terms of how that varies to your usual training, all these years, uh, had you had a pretty consistent routine on a weekly basis that you were using? Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be split into two. So obviously I've had a lot of different coaches, but I had two main coaches. So Emmett Dunleavy is my current coach, um, who I went to when I was going up the distances and then when I was working more. And then I had a coach, Thomas Chamney, who was my coach when I was doing like 800s and 1500s. So two things. I think are there one it was like 815 two you're like in your 20s you're really you're really trying to be an elite athlete um you're running and then you're only working to support that running now it's like I'm working and 
like I like to run, you know. So I think the the things that would probably help your listeners more would be how it changed. I would have went from like doing three sessions per week to two sessions per week. I would have went from doing like time and distance based training. uh, Sorry, which I mean by that is like, sorry, pace and distance based. So hit this distance in a certain time or run this pace to all like time and effort, like heart rate based training. And while that was great is that, um, you know, why, why that was great was when you're working, like you, you have other stresses in your life. Like you don't, you don't want constantly to be having a tension of you have to hit a certain time where if it's off a heart rate, even if I'm like, like, I don't know if it's something got up or, you know, I, I hang around with my nephew a lot. So, and he was sick. So like, I feel a little bit scratchy in my throat. Um, so he, like I'll just go out because it's on heart rate. If I am a little bit run down, the heart rates will be up, the pace will be lower, but I'll still be working in my appropriate zone. So the type of sessions I would do then, and the sessions were less intense. Um, and maybe when you're coming into like a racing period, if you need to be good for the very first race, you would dial it in for the last six to three weeks beforehand. So typical week would be like maybe, I guess still run quite a lot. So it'd be one run of like maybe um, 10 miles, like 70 minutes. Um, then the second run on Tuesday might be 70 minutes again, but we might do, uh, I would do like strides at the end of that. So you might do 65 minutes and then uh, five minutes of like strides. Again, not not going crazy, but just keeping a little bit turnover in the legs. Then uh, Wednesday would either be like that first turning point, which we, we call it nearly like marathon pace or marathon heart rate, or the second turning point, which would be lactic threshold. So those sessions, like simple ones you could do, would be like five by seven minutes. I would build up to that, by the way, if you weren't used to that, like three by seven minutes at marathon pace, essentially. Marathon heart rate, I would recommend everybody just get a lactic, uh, a lactic threshold test and um, you just need to get one ever in your life they're about 100 euros australia is more expensive could be like 200 dollars but like one time doesn't matter your level of fitness because they're all internal measures so like i had my first test when i was like 18 as i said it's, it's nearly 20 years my heart rates have gone down about three beats so if i just got that test at 18 like my heart rate is basically my heart rate. If you have a high heart rate, it's not like when you hit a certain age or a certain fitness level, you stop having a high heart rate. That doesn't happen. The amount you generate lactic is always going to be roughly the same. What happens is, is how fit you are, like how fast I can run at those intensities. Like if you think about it, like when you started running, it wasn't like you were like, because people are sometimes, oh, I'll wait till I'm fit. It doesn't work like that. It's like when you started running, and you might have been half an hour slower over a marathon or, you know, 10, 15 minutes slower over 10K. You weren't like thinking, well, I'm only running four out of 10 because I'm not fit. You at that time, that felt nine out of 10, 10 out of 10, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 never changes. What changes is how fast you can run at nine out of 10, 10 out, 10 out of 10. So I would always recommend anyone. It's just sometimes to give like the non-elite, the normal runner, if you're out there running, three four times a week get this test done if anybody if you get the test done send you can send me the results at own e-o-i-n or this is a bit better one everard e-v-e-r-a-r-d pilates p-i-l-a-t-e-s dot at gmail.com um 
like I'll get nothing from that. I just I don't mind helping people out to record the data. So sorry, I went into the segue there. Just that's important. So that's how I'm judging. No, no. Yeah. Do you want to answer, ask any questions on that, no. or will I keep with the training? Dude, it's really interesting. So I'm just <clears throat> I'm trying to just uh, get my thoughts around because I'm a little old school in my approach. And I think part of the reason that I'm a little old school with the athletes I coach, and I was explaining this to, um, I think I said this on, I recorded a podcast with a with Ben True this morning, the American distance runner. Yeah, he's really good. One of the things that <clears throat> we were talking about is that uh, my very first coach or one of my early coaches was 79 years old when I started training with him. And when I started training with him, this guy, he had a great reputation. He coached a number of uh, Olympians. He had a number of great athletes that he was working with here in uh, in Victoria. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he he had such a little focus on technology. And the reason I find it so interesting is because I am curious about the heart rate training and about this lactate threshold training. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm curious to, to delve into this more with you in just a moment. But one of the things that I often notice in myself is that I'll run a lot by feel. So sometimes I'll leave my Garmin at home. I won't be looking at heart rate. I won't be looking at pace. I'll just be running it at how I feel. And I'm, I'm almost certain, I'm, I'm, I am certain, that some of the runs that I do would be a lot faster than some of the others based on a number of the factors that you mentioned. Sometimes you're tired, sometimes you're getting sick, and the effort level is still about the same. So uh, when an athlete asks you about um, you know, the, the difference between getting a lactate threshold test and figuring out, okay, like what is the heart rate that I should be operating on versus how should I run uh, according to how I feel? Like, Is there a benefit in knowing your actual heart rate-based training over just running to to how you're feeling on a particular day. Oh, I lost you there, brother. I think you're on mute. Hundred percent. Sorry, I went yeah, to we get a bit of water. No, um, I yeah, hundred percent. And like, I don't know the runners you're you're coaching, but like, like I listen. Like, you're a smart dude. You'd get that within like one day, and it just adds another tool to your toolbox. Um. That was something that people used to say to me back in the day. Now, I never, I, I was on this early, like, you know, nearly 20 years ago. Um, oh, it'll give me too much to think about is another thing people say. It's like, I'd rather run by feel. Runners are notoriously bad at that. If you're good at that, that's brilliant. They intend, like, like you give a runner six out of 10, they'll, they'll push. And the thing, right, what, what, what the heart rate helps is it gives you, like, there are days, like, so like your training Tyson would still be the same in terms of what I mean by that is say if I'm getting coached by you your athletes then would have their zones and then you're at, then you would tell them though they're like oh, I'm a bit tired or because because the heart rate won't always work in terms of it can be a day where my like I could be fine but my heart rate just won't increase or if the reps are below three minutes it's not enough time. So the thing you have to tell people is like, look, this should take time. Like the first rep, if it's not into the right heart rate zone, don't be sprinting to get this heart rate up. Um, I don't wear a heart rate monitor when I'm running easy because I can run easy. But I have a friend then who is a lunatic on easy runs. So he has to wear it. Because um, I'll know by feel it's like, yeah, I'm going too fast. I'm actually, I need to be pushed. So sometimes if I'm on like zone two run, which is like just slightly steady, we could still have a chat. Um, I need to be told, like, man, you need to go a bit faster. You're just chilling again. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it just it just gives it that most runners are like, oh, like the amount of people 
who tell me, oh yeah, I was, I was, I did a, my, I did my tempo at like, I did five miles in sub 25 minutes. And it's like, they can't run, they can't run like a 10k at that pace. They can't run probably a five mile. Like they probably ran their PB nearly. And it's like, that's not tempo. That's not threshold. That's, that's above 80%. And if you want to improve aerobically, you need to train aerobically. So if you are like what the heart rate does, it's like you can't go above that zone because once you're above that, you're training something different. And I did a did a podcast myself with this guy, Dave McCarthy. And we're talking about where we want to push on, but your threshold pace is really is, is too far away from your race pace to make a difference. And that's the system. Do you know, like, so say, say for me, I, we, I work out miles. I don't know. I know people do case, but just for simple measure right say save my 10k pace is three minutes per k but my threshold pace is like 320 per k just for say sake of argument if i push that to like 315 per k so i'm going faster than i should be i'm still 15 seconds a k off my race pace that's not that's not close enough to race pace to get me used to that pace so you'd be better doing three 325 going a little bit slower and then actually doing like specific race work afterwards that hits like three two fifty five a k. So yeah, a lot of times I think it's the opposite. People would have told me, um, yeah, it gets me think like I'll think about it too much. There's nothing to think about. You you have a number on a heart rate on your watch, and you just don't go above that number. Like there, yeah. like sometimes you will make the distinction like okay, it's, the heart rate's not coming up, and do it easier because it should still feel like eight out of 10. So it still would give people those intensity efforts, but I see most people can't, they don't have the confidence that you would have then to go, you know what, this is that effort. They naturally go, I could probably push on a little bit more. Yeah. That's a very good case for it. It's actually a a perspective I hadn't really considered before is one thing that I would have said to you back in the day, is it something that I don't really want to think about? I'm pretty good judge of what it is that I'm doing in the easy runs But you're right, I would have been a culprit for a tempo run, just trying to run with, I used to do a lot of running here with Liam Adams uh, back in the day when I was competing. And dude, Liam Adams, uh, as as much as I love the guy, was running times for 10K that I wasn't running. And so me running with him for our tempo runs would have been a joke. So I like the idea that... Man, that happens, sorry, that happens all the time. We were talking, I was talking about that with Dave. There's guys, there's two minute differentials, but everybody used to think like five minute miling was... Um, like a gold standard for tempo runs or threshold. So lo and behold, no matter what, you know, if you were sub 32 or you were sub 30, everybody seemed to have a five minute threshold. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like they're all running true. together. I, I, like, I like the idea of it being used as an accountability factor. It actually, when you look at it like that and you can be disciplined like that, it actually should alleviate stress rather than add any more stress. Because if you're focused on heart rate rather than time, of course it's going to take away stress because you don't need to be worrying if you're not hitting a certain mile split in the time you did last yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, like I'm a kind of overanalyzer anyway. So when people said that, it's like if I was going out and every week had to like, like judge if this is correct. Now, a lot of people, like my friends can do it without their heart rate. Heart, they just know by feel now, but they have used their heart rates for a long time. So, but I'd be like, oh God, is that too fast? Is that too slow? How was that compared to last week? Where it's like, it's just, just on the heart rate. Yeah, that's yeah, a really good point. So are you running just with a Garmin? Garmin and then heart rate or... strap. Do not use the wrist strap. They're terrible. 
Yeah, I've heard that. See, even even myself, I've never really ventured too far into it, but the distance that I have delved into that, I've heard that the like the variability or yeah, the yeah. accuracy. Just as if you think about it, it's like so up. little, and it, as it's fine when you're, you know, uh, like resting heart rate. Um, the 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 kind of pulse is more like predictable and slower. But once you get into a rapid pulse and moving your arm that much, it's it's not. You need just a chest strap again. Fifty dollars, you know, fifty euros, maybe a hundred dollars. I, I know it sounds like an upfront cost, but like if you have a, a partner, a husband, a wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, like they are freaking out about what to get you for Christmas. So give them a help. They love this. My <laughs> wife came down and was like, I want a lactic test and a heart rate monitor. The next six months of my life would be just a joy, just waiting for Christmas. I would put out all the tinsel, not like sweating bullets on the 20th of December trying to find out what I'm going to get her. Uh, waiting for that disappointed look on her face (laughs) i wish my wife was more interested in a heart rate because this would be something i would buy with a smile on my face i know i'm trying to get my uh, wife into lactic threshold leave little leaflets around the house (laughs) (laughs) i hear her there i think she's very hard (laughs) (laughs) so besides your easy runs um you're wearing your heart rate monitor for every of your sessions but i only session twice a week and then once okay once you once you're doing like those like less than three minute reps like you know if you're doing like minute on minute off don't worry about your heart rate just do it off feel do them off feel like does it feel like 10k pace but again people go too fast like as i said you know if you think of aerobic is like max 90 percent, kind of 85 percent. so if you do a minute on minute off and you say okay we're doing minute on minute off for like 15 minutes um with a minute easy say and I wanted that like five, five, 10K pace. If at the end of like, say, minute three, I said to you, okay, so I want you to keep that going now for 15 minutes. I would say 90% of people would have a freak out. They're like, there's not a chance. I can keep this pace going. But then that's not 5K or 10K pace. So if you're doing those reps, t- like always, especially at the start, imagine what it's like when you settle into the run. So, okay, you have that big burst at the start, but then you do settle into a pace. And then at the end, you're 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 pushing again but you want if you're doing that it's it's the feel so the other sessions then might be um i do a lot more of the aerobic stuff it's just easier to do now so it might be like you know you might do six minutes at um like like maybe what would you do like six minutes at lactic threshold again and then you might do like three by 30 second hills so you might go five minutes at lactic threshold three by 30 second hills five minutes, then like two minutes off, five minutes LT, three by 30 second hills, five minutes LT, three by 30 second hills. Or you might do five or 10 minutes of like AT or LT. That's your marathon or lactic. Maybe like 10, 30 second hills, it's quite hard or, you know, some kind of hill session there in the middle. And then just some easy like AT running again. So like a little bit aerobic, hit some of these like minutes or efforts and then go. And then when I am getting ready for 5K or 10K, I'm a neuromuscular runner. And, and so I need, uh, I need like specific work. I need to run at the pace. I, I tell a lie. I do this every two weeks now. I'll go to the track and say if I'm getting ready for 10Ks, I need to hit like say three minute K pace. It doesn't have to be a hard session. It can be, I actually enjoy longer recoveries. Um, but I need, I need practice at like hitting the pace I'm going to run. Like, so we might go again, do, do some like 
you know, five minutes or 10 minutes of AT or LT. And then I might do like eight by 400 meters at 72 seconds is a three minute K pace. So 472s off like a minute or off like 45 seconds and just get usually a minute because as I've got older, I've tried to give longer recovery. So it's like when we're going faster, it's not like I'm, I'm like pushing the whole time, but I'm trying to get very comfortable at that pace. And I need to do that for races. If I just do all the aerobic stuff, it feels like I'm sprinting on the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. That's one st- story I was shocked at when I had Stewie McSwain on here. He oh, so he's a legend. Yeah. When he, wait, dude, you know Stewie? Yeah. I was went, I went to um, San Diego. I was kind of doing some training and a little bit of physio. So, uh, Man, he's one of the best blokes in the world at distance running. I, I, So Stewie and I, when he was about 14, we had the same coach. I'm seven, about seven years older than Stewie. So I was running around at, thinking I was just showing him the ropes. I was like, I'll show this young fella how it's done and give him some inspiration. And then about uh, a year and a half later, he came out and just wiped off all my PBs. <sighs> and I was like, okay, I take back all the arrogance yeah. that I ever brought to the table. Um, <laughs> dude, he's um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of blokes you want to see well, He's right at the top of the list because he's, uh, I mean, he's a very humble Very humble. Boy. And I know he, his talent think... is ridiculous. When we were in, uh, like, we were in Mount Laguna in San Diego and he had an injury. So he was just back. So he's doing some runs and then he would have done a session with, like, um, Ryan Gregson. And, like, he was, like, way ahead of us and just with Ryan. And he was just back and he was a young guy. It was like, this. he was just like, it's like, oh, my God. He was really good. You're thinking, Jesus, he's decent. And then that summer he was running like, he took like 40 seconds off his PB, running like 13, 20. You're like, Oof. and he's just gone oh, on from there. Dude, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, he's one of those guys as well. I've gone off topic. Just before I tell you the story I was about to tell you, um, the the thing that blew my mind was on the podcast, he mentioned at the time he had just run 331 for 1500. And he said that in the lead up to that training, he had done no 400 meter work, sub 60 second pace. Yeah which was unbelievable to me. But what, what, one thing I love about Stewie, and I, I think a lot of uh, athletes of all levels can take out of a, a story like a bloke, from a bloke like him is his ability to return to form after a bad race is unbelievable. Like I often found that if I went out and say a good time for me was 349, that was my PG yeah, 1500. Good. If I went out and ran 354, say, and I'd, I'd put my, put my uh, you know, maximal effort and it was just a bad race, had an opportunity I would go, oh, okay, maybe I'm in worse form, question my training, question yeah. things. And I felt psychologically that would linger with me for a little bit. Stewie has this ability to go out and for whatever reason have an average run, which happens very rarely, luckily, and then the next week come out and set a national record. I remember a couple of years ago he had he uh, it was diagnosed with pericarditis after his booster shot. Um, and a lot of people were going, oh, what's going on here? Stewie's lost it. He started running a couple of runs that was he was running like 349 in huge runs. And obviously this is a bit of a different example because he actually had something yeah, physically yeah. wrong with him at the time. But even to once your pericarditis in his instance he had, had healed and fully recovered, to be able to come out and go, okay, we're back. Dude, I remember being so happy the day that I saw he ran 1256. I know, that so it was sick, after like... all of this. And, dude, I knew nothing about uh, any heart issues. I'd never heard the word pericarditis until some of these conversations around athletes, um, you know, suffering it after their booster shot or, or second dose or whatever had come out. And he came out and I was like, crap, I hope this doesn't mean he's done yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. 
And then I, I just took so much respect away from that race because I know how difficult it is to navigate your way through a couple of poor performances to put yourself not only back to where you were but beyond yeah. it. Um, so I think that not only the physical talent but just that mental ability that an athlete like him has is is unbelievable. And that is, you know, because people always say like mental strength in races, which I actually don't really believe in. Like I feel it's like either physical practice, like you need, like me, I just actually need to physically like practice running the paces. Um, but that's the mental strength where it's like trust in the process that like, you know, I have plenty of bad runs, like loads, but nobody ever asks you about the bad runs. And it's like just knowing that like, okay, you might have been tired there. Or that didn't go well. And as you said, but normally there is something. It could have been like the training was a bit hard or you, you maybe were carrying some little infection, but don't just keep rolling. And with the training, you will get better, you know? And then at the end of the season, you can reflect and go, okay, maybe why was, say if the whole season went poorly, then reflect of like, okay, what was it that I could have done differently? But yeah, like, I think that's the mental strength that's really needed. It's like staying the course and just putting yourself back on the line each time uh, makes a massive difference. Yeah. Yeah, it's really true. Man, one thing I was keen to pick your brain about, because I, I like personally, I like the adjustment from three sessions a week to two sessions a week, especially, I'm, as I said, I'm yeah. 36. Um, from a physical perspective, even for an elite level athlete at the at the peak of their game, like when you're winning national titles, the idea of trying to recover effectively between three sessions a week seems like a little bit of a, a, a task. So I'm not sure if you want to speak to that. Yeah, but, but if you, you think about it, like, of, yeah, as you said, if you're doing three a week, like even with the Australian guys, they're like, we call, they call them triple Tuesday. So they go, yeah, yeah, work out in the morning, gym in the middle of the day, easy run. You know, so you're doing three. It was like, this is like a full-time job. Um, but if you think about it, then it's like everything is geared towards recovery. So everybody, you're, you're going for a nap in the middle of the day. You're going to bed early, you know, um, sure. the minute you come home, it's like your protein shake, your recovery, you're eating, you don't, you're not. So, cause I think that can ha happen. Some people, um, Tyson is that not, not thinking about like, well, life is different now, as you know, um, like now it's like if I'm doing a workout like I when I lecture it's like okay I'll do the workout and then I might either have patience or some of the Pilates stuff or I might have lectures that I have to like run to I might have to do the session you know up at six and do the session for half six to be back showered to go to work so the recovery isn't there that's like oh well it's not like I do this and it's like even emotionally it's like we have nothing else to do now we just have to recover we just have to relax and then like, you know, go in two days time again. The other thing when you're doing that, you'd have a hard session Tuesday. Um, you do like a threshold type run on Thursday, which is only meant to be 80%. So it's not like super hard. It's, it's, and then the hard session again on, on Sunday or Saturday. So it's not like they're doing three hard ones back to back. It's, it's generally, generally the way that would work. It's like when I was at that distance, I would do a hard session at the at the distance pace so like say if it was a 5k it would be like a hard 5k session on on uh saturday say then tuesday might be um an, an eight a seven or eight out of ten 10k type session something like above the distance or below the distance if you wanted it could have been like some threshold and then some like 3k work to get you like 
like kind of sharp. And then on Thursday would be maybe above the distance aerobic work, which would maybe be like a six, seven out of 10 intensity. And then back to Saturday, which would be a nine, 10. So it's not like, okay, we're just hitting it hard the whole week. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you mentioned that you're lecturing. Are you lecturing in the because you've got quite a solid background in the world of movement? Yeah, you? biomechanics. Think, yeah, that's my uh, main was, my main thing. Yeah, biomechanics. So I was uh, I was I was having a read through some of your stuff, and I was so so curious to talk to you about this because I've had uh, quite a lot of strength coaches on here, and uh, one of the things that just blows my mind is how strong you can be in one capacity, like in a gym sense, and how weak you can be in another capacity in a Pilates sense. Yeah. And this is something that. Uh, exercise physiologist over here, John Quinn, who is an Australian track coach and uh, works with a number of the the AFL clubs, which is the the top yeah, yeah. our version of Gaelic yeah. football. I don't know how well you've seen. Yeah, Aussie uh, <clears throat> rules, yeah. So he works with a number of clubs there, and and he encouraged me in my uh, sub elite performance. Now I'm not trying to qualify for Olympics or run PBs, but just stay healthy and strong and um, just feel good physically. He encouraged me to substitute one of my strength sessions in the gym with a, a Pilates style. Oh, session. definitely. And the reason he did that, yeah, was because I was explaining to him. Uh, I do a lot of sessions online with a, a, a pretty Australian chick called Move with Nicole. She's got a really big following, um, and I think she's got a background in dance and Pilates, and uh, sorry, in in dance and uh, in ballet. And some of the strength exercises that she does so casually absolutely blows my mind. I did a session the other day. I wish I could tell you which one it was so you could see it. But she was walking through an exercise, and usually I pride myself on mental strength and ability to push through discomfort. But physically, uh, it was like a core exercise. And halfway through, I just felt my legs come to the ground because she had me up against the ropes. But you put me in a gym gym setting – I go relatively yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I think, for my body my body weight. Um, speak to me a little bit about Pilates and the impact that something like a, a, a strength routine, whether it be in the gym and Pilates or, uh, you know, some alternative sort of focus that you have in the strength routine can have on running performance. Because when I was running competitively, it seemed to be something that at least I was overlooking yeah. and it seems a lot more uh, a lot more valued these I think, days. I think for elite, like I think for running, you get better at running by running. Like so let's, even though I have, look, and if anyone wants a free trial, I'll give myself a cheeky plug. You can get a free trial of our Pilates. So it's Everard, E-V-E-R-A-R-D, Pilates, P-I-L-A-T-E-S.com. In the top right-hand corner, you'll see a free trial. So if you want to click that, you can... Um, do the Pilates that we're going to talk about. Uh, it's like a 45-minute class. But as you get older, as you said, there's two reasons. One, running running is very good cardiovascularly. It's very good for burning calories, but it doesn't actually activate the muscles that well. That's why all the injuries for running are like plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, knee pain, because it's the ligaments, it's the tendons and the joints that get overloaded. So what the Pilates is really good for is activating the muscles like waking the muscles up so it's like if me and you you know we went to a bar if if someone starts a fight on you i'm there to help but if i'm asleep you're on your own and it's the same with running it's like if if the muscles aren't woken up the ligaments the joints and the tendons are on their own they have to absorb all the load if the the muscles have been woken up if the joints are moving smoother then the they're just going to help you naturally when you run because the body wants to stay healthy. But if it's 
if they're not activated, they're not going to be be there. So doing the gym, doing the Pilates, and we'll talk about the Pilates versus the gym in a little bit, um, is important. If we think of running performance, then how it helps is there's only three things that make you a good runner. There is VO2 max, which is kind of natural, but you can improve it with that high end running. There's the lactic threshold, which we talked about. And then there is running economy, how smooth you are running. So again, if you if you're doing something like Pilates, which is really like controlling the movement through different ranges, is really like working on core strength. Well, then if the joints can move smoother, it's like it's like if you have oil on a chain, it's just gonna it's gonna move easier. If when you hit and your core is kind of like subtly moving you like like left and right because it's not strong, or you're you know, you you clip the inside of your leg each time, you know. So if you come home and it's been wet and mucky and you have like dirt on the inside of your 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 shin that means that like the glute medius on the outside is weak and it's like hitting so it's like things aren't efficient we're not moving as like smoothly and as efficiently as we can forward so adding that strength that's how it would help the running as opposed to you know the and your power it's like when you're pushing off it's it's not as hard to do that um how it differs then some people like the gym is excellent though. If people want to do that and didn't like the Pilates, but it's the control of the movement, which is, is really good. It's like, we're, we're making sure, like say in our class, we're really making sure of like, we have the spine. We're really dialing in how to do the movements. So if I'm doing a gym, the first element, even for like general fitness, not for running is good movement. So it's like, and there's three things that cause good movement. I, I told you I'll go on absolute rants, so cut in here if any, oh, mate, any chance. No, keep going. This is so okay. interesting. There's three things that cause good movement. Good mobility, good movement, so we can get that through moving through the joint, like our foam rolling, our stretching will help that. Stability, like just being able to actually activate the right muscles, like just being able to physically turn on the core, turn on the glutes. And then lastly is like a body awareness. It's like make it, like being aware of our position in space. And that's the that's what Pilates is really helping with there. That's the sports Pilates I developed is really working on those for runners. So we're getting on our feet and we're practicing all those moves. And it's like, as you said, it's that control that can make you burn where when you're just pushing through, it's not as, as hard and it's on the actual physical strength. So um, that movement is quite good. And then the next level up on the pyramid is uh, work capacity that's the ability to tolerate load and this isn't just for runners this is if i was just doing a general gym so that's where the next people should be doing like three by ten three by twelve reps you know 60 70 percent burning but what you're trying to do is like prepare your body for like more strength activities as you go up then you'll be doing like maximum strength if people were looking for like speed or power um it's important that first they build the engine like you could have a one liter car it's never going to do well, even if it's critiqued to the end. It just doesn't have enough horsepower in it. After that, then you're looking at your power. Um, and after that, then you're looking at like plyometrics. And then you're hoping that translates to speed. Now, for generally, for runners, as I said, you'll get better at running by running. So I really focus on the, I think the bottom two elements of that pyramid are the most important to kind of wake up the muscles. So you'll do some kind of Pilates or something that makes you work on the technique, work on those ranges, um, 
And then if you want, then maybe adding one gym, which focuses a lot on the work capacity elements. Mm. Have you got a graphic for that? I'd love to see that. In yeah, yeah, form. yeah. I feel I'll like pop that up. Video. Yeah. Dude, I, I was going to say, I might even, uh, in the show notes where I'll link Brilliant. everything I'll do that, yeah. that we've spoken about, yeah, I might even link that and, and steal it for my own self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, um, obviously, man, like we could we could do a number of podcasts just on what you've If you do want to do there, another one on one, that pyramid, because if people are interested in the, the gym side of things, um, it's, it's really interesting. And something that people don't, even how they structure a gym, like when I say that generally, you want to have, and you want a little bit of that in all your gyms and then have more of a focus. So yeah, it'd definitely be something we could do. Oh, Matt, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that because I'm uh, very keen to, to talk more in detail about that one. Um, wh- one thing that I wanted to ask you about, and you mentioned it there was, um, I-, I love the analogy of the two blokes at the yeah. top about how classic Irish. one turns off the other one's carrying the weight. <laughs> yeah, classic. I was going to say, you'd never find me at a pub with you because I've learned uh, from stereotypes that it's a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Mind you, we've got a reputation of our own to uphold. But uh, one of the one of the things that I was curious about was you mentioned that, say, for example, uh, like plantar fasciitis might become a problem because there hadn't been enough activation or enough strength that's been developed yeah. through that. Um, to go back to John Quinn again, one thing that he does with his athletes um, is to get them to do quite a lot of, uh, for this particular issue, get them to do quite a lot of work in sort of soft sand, whether it's the long jump pit yeah, cool. um, in bare feet to try and activate that part of the muscle, uh, that part of the foot. Because uh, uh, my question was, as you're explaining that, and I know it's a little bit of a tangent to, to the main point there, but um, how do you actually go about activating little problem points like that? Because uh, on my return to marathon preparation, I've, I've both dealt with uh, a little bit of plantar fasciitis and a little bit of calf strain. Yeah. Uh, knees have been holding up okay. But in terms of uh, I, I understand how to load up the calves quite, quite effectively. Don't, and, don't load up the calves either. That. Ah, Okay, speak to me on that. That's uh, that's another interesting topic, even in the recovery yeah. process. Okay. Because my, my we- thing, right, is that, okay, so to answer your first question, doing doing stuff barefoot, if you are barefoot running, only do like five, 10 minutes max, but do it regularly. Sure. Sometimes people go bananas with that and do loads, and then you can get more impact injuries. But a little bit of that, yeah, fires it up. When we're doing our gym or we're doing our Pilates, if people want to do that free trial, you'll see I do everything barefoot. Then it's just like, I don't want to, because if people do the free trial, you're going to see the type of exercise and the type of intensity you need. You need to get these burning. And after that session, you you won't be thinking like, oh, how did this work? Like you'll see that it's just, it's simple exercises like your bridge, some like like um, single leg deadlift, standing on one leg, bringing the leg back. Um, so those type of muscles, those type of exercises to activate the muscles will work again it, they can if people want to see my class it's for beginners so you don't need any experience uh try it for free i honest to god never don't mind if you never do it again but it gives you a good idea of the type of exercises now in our course we'll there's a lot of things to cover so we're changing up the type of exercises like the, the weeks are not that similar um from one week to week eight on on the calves then um the key thing that you want to do it's like if you think about it, a lot of running injuries are overload injuries like plantar fasciitis calf strains as well or achilles pain it's like the, those areas are being overloaded and if you think on a marathon training it is slower running so you're not really getting that knee lift that you normally would say doing your 10ks or 
uh, you know, you would have been a 1500 meter runner. So what you need to do then is um, not overwork the calf with heel drops, heel raises, but actually work the rest of the leg. So the one I really like is the single leg deadlift, bringing the leg back. So standing on one leg, bringing the other leg back till it won't lift anymore. And you're in a kind of like Mm -hmm. uh, tilted position and then holding that for like, say, 10 second holds. What that's going to do is get the the muscles of the foot burning and then it's going to get like the hamstring and glute working a lot more, which then takes pressure off the calf. What a lot of people do is my calf is sore, but if that's the overloaded area, it's like it's like if me and you are in work, right? And no, let's say we're both we're two rowers and you're I, I'm like really lazy or I'm weak. And like you work like hard like hell. And then like but you're getting tired or you're getting sore. And our thing is like, well, let's just make Tyson stronger so he can handle that load. It's like, no, let, let's make Owen work more. He's the lazy one. So now Tyson actually, Tyson's doing his job. Like, so it's, it's, it's what ways do you fix it? Do you, you, do you, do you work Tyson harder so he can handle an inappropriate load? Or do you get the other parts of the, the chain working more? So now that part of the, the, the chain isn't overloaded. And I like the second bit. I like working other bits. So single leg deadlift is my favorite exercise for people who have any calf or Achilles problems. Oh, that's so interesting. See, I can feel my Achilles and glutes burning just hearing about that yeah. exercise. But um, the, I, I'd been doing the opposite of that. And yeah, I'm, loads man, people I'm do open to so much. Yeah, I'd been doing the opposite. I'd been uh, told by a guy that I see as a massage therapist um, that what you want to do, and the way he explained it to me, he said, okay, there's obviously been some micro tears in your calf. And what's going to happen is if you go right now and try and run, obviously that's not going to heal. It's just going to be magnified, the pain, the the actual damage. He said, but over time, uh, without actually uh, loading it up was his reasoning, is you're going to uh, leave that like a vulnerable bit. So even when it heals, it's not going to heal effectively and i'm probably completely i uh, i mean i hope he's not listening to this because I'm, I'm not going to name him just because i've probably destroyed what was he was trying yeah. to say um but yeah he was he was just explaining that essentially without that focus load on the calf it's never going to heal in the right capacity is there anything to that yeah. or is, is and, that and especially if of- it was really chronic if someone came in and it's like they've had chronic achilles problems where we're stopping running i'm i'm, I'm going to then do heel drops heel raises with them yeah. um because we need to and like less than three out of ten but Running itself is putting that load through it and it's probably putting a little bit too much load through it. So mm-hmm. definitely my first point protocol is like when someone has like a calf strain or like like that, like that the calves are getting sore, but it's not an injury, they're still running. It's like you're going to get so much better bang for your buck doing like the single leg deadlift. Yeah. Because the thing is with that exercise, the calf is already then stretches it stretched isometrically. Like you'll feel it in your calf as well because standing on it for so long will get it burning. But you're not lengthening it and, and stretching. You're not really loading it up too much. You're putting it into a position with the rest of the leg and everything is working appropriately. Yeah, that makes but, sense. Because I've honestly, so, I've had people who've come to me with like terrible Achilles and like going for that solution has worked way better. Yeah. Okay. I, I like that. So it's essentially just not trying to throw out a blanket rule to everyone who comes to see you and say, okay, like what's the actual problem? Is it chronic? Is yeah. it not? How do we alleviate that pain? I think I was probably um, just putting a blanket over what is very personal. Advice. No, but a lot of people yeah, do that. I think they some. go for what they're chronic. Like the heel drops, heel raises is like a study by Aronson. That dude, the reason he wanted to do that was 
the surgeon was like, your leg is not bad enough for surgery because his keelers was that sore. So he was trying to break his tendon. He was trying to snap it for him. And then over time, oh. as he kept loading it to try snap it, it just, the pain went. So there definitely is like, you can get a micro stretch. It can load the tendon, which is important. Load is important on a tendon. But like, so but we're talking about people who have just calf pain or Achilles pain and they're still running. That bit is like, try get the rest of the leg. You know, as you said, in marathon prep, it's like, if you look at the way you run, you're probably very calf dominant on that. So then if you go and the only exercises you're doing are very calf dominant, it's like the, the calf is getting loaded like crazy. If it's a case where you're having to rest because of Achilles pain, even then I'd probably do two weeks of the the kind of Pilates strategy that work the other areas, glute bridge, a lot of balance, like the, the sole of your foot is burning. Uh, single leg deadlift will work really well. Yeah, man, I'm I'm so interested to to do another round. With yeah, you definitely, I love this. Interested? I, I'm aware of, I'm aware of the fact mm-hmm. we said we'll do uh, you know around about an hour, and I, I know you're just starting your day, and I've got to go pick up yeah, kids from perfect. daycare, so I won't uh, I won't linger for too much longer. But mate, let's um let's line up another one for, for everyone interested. I'll make sure that I link um the the free trial to Brilliant. Owen's um membership, uh, the website, uh, anything else. Hopefully, if you could send me that, yeah, yeah, I'll put that in for any other right visual now. learners out there, and um. Mate, let's uh, let's let's talk, and we'll uh, we'll line up. Yeah, and if two. people have questions, I love that. Like I've done that where any any question on running, I'll give a, a good stab, or I have a couple of different opinions, and I love to get Tyson's opinion. So we can do it on. We'll do it on the S and C, and like building things on like back pain and and stuff like that, and like how to put an overall program there. But if people have like any questions that we have here, or heard me on other things and want to get a some question, just or you know what's the best really specific i am a 54 year old uh, runner doing my first half marathon i train this time of the week what type of training should i be doing or i've had this injury um you'd be surprised what kind of advice we can give and i love that yeah no fantastic man all right let's do that i'll make sure i link it all in the show notes below thanks again for coming on round one we'll do round two again great thank you so much Tyson. take care Thanks for listening to the Relaxed Running Podcast. If you're ready to become a faster, more efficient runner, visit www.relaxedrunning.com.